Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Um, Anyway, John chapter 15. Let me read a few verses, and then we'll pray. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Unless it abides in the fine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for this opportunity to study it. We ask that in our time of the study of your word, that you will encourage us and exhort us and equip us to live a life that glorifies you. And that's our heart's desire this morning, Lord, to grow closer to you and be more in touch with you be more intimate with you, that you might move in and through us to reach a lost world with the truth of your word to your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in John 15. I'm going to try and move Quickly, I mean, honestly, you could study this section of Scripture, just the first 17 verses for a month, and never mind the depth of the jewels that are therein. But there's a very specific thing that I believe the Lord wants to share with you, and that He's already shared with me as I've studied and um, we're in the midst, actually, of here in the book of John. They've been in the upper room, um, partaking of what has come to me known as the Last Supper. And the very last thing that is spoken here um, in chapter 14, before we launch into 15, is let us get up and go from this place. And so we know that the Last Supper has ended, and most commentators believe that they've now left the upper room, but the discourse, the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples obviously hasn't come to an end. Perhaps they're walking through the city of Jerusalem and uh, he sees um, vines of grapes growing. And because he's such a storyteller and a word picture kind of God, 
he's going to use something that's common to speak a truth to his disciples. Perhaps they found their way to the Temple Mount and were passing through because the mount, the gates were always open into the courtyards. And perhaps they were looking up at the huge doors on the temple that are inlaid with um, grapevines. And he sees that and it triggers in him um, a desire to speak truth to them. We don't know entirely what the scene is, but we know that Jesus is using something common to them. And he says, I am the true vine. This is actually the seventh of a series of seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself beginning in chapter 6 when he said, I am the bread of life. And from there, he says, um, I am the light of the world in chapter 8. In chapter 10, he identifies himself as the door. I am the door. And then I am the good shepherd. And then he says, I am the resurrection in the life. And the last one before we get into chapter 15 is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. And in that, he's revealing to us who he is and who he desires to be in our lives. There's actually, I don't know why we say it's seven. I think because we're so locked in to the number seven, you know, as that number of completion. But there's actually an eighth I am statement that he made in the midst of all these I am statements when he said, before Abraham was, I am. So there actually is eight um, I am statements in that series, but we tend to lock into seven. But here in chapter 15, I think there's an important thing that he's trying to communicate to you and to me. I think one of the biggest questions that we have to wrestle with and resolve in our lives is why am I here? What's my purpose? And as a Christian, even more so, God, what do you have me here for? What is it I'm supposed to accomplish on your behalf? What's the purpose of this life you've given me? You might say, why do you think that's the most important question that Christians need answered? I'll answer it this way. One of the top Christian books in total sales is a book written by Pastor Rick Warren entitled The Purpose Driven Life. 
Christians bought that book and have eaten it up because every single person, if they're sincere in their relationship with the Lord, wants to know, what am I here for? What's my purpose? And in chapter 15, I believe Jesus, at its simplest level, simple yet profound level, answers that question. And to do that, he first establishes himself using that word picture of a grapevine, if you will, or a vine, to describe how we are to be unified in tune with him. And so he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So the father being the one who tends to the vine and prunes the vine and makes sure the vine has what it needs, yet Jesus himself says, I am the vine, I am the one that my father planted. But not just the vine, the true vine. Actually, in the original text, it says, I am the vine, the true. In other words, there's many vines out there that we can attach ourselves to. Isn't there in this world? So many places we can run to try to draw into ourselves those things that we need. I mean, when you think about the vine and the branches, it's the vine that provides for the branches, as he described a few verses later, I am the vine and you, us, his disciples, his followers, are the branches. Yet the branch, we know, as we would study it and we see in the text, the branch can exist on its own. Neither can it provide for itself. It needs the vine. A branch left on its own cannot survive. You can't go out and find this beautiful grapevine and say, you know what? I love this branch right here. Lop it off, bring it into the house and tend to it and expect that branch to live on its own. It will not. It will wither and die lest it's attached to the vine. Because the vine is that part of the plant, as it were, that casts out its roots and draws from the soil the nutrients that the branch needs to be able to produce fruit. You guys with me? Any agriculturalists in here? We know that the fruit and the branches, apart from being attached to the vine, can do nothing on their own. But we as human beings, understanding we need to be attached to something, there's plenty of things out there in this world 
we can attach ourselves to with the desire to draw from it nutrients for life. And Jesus very clearly is making a bold statement. I am the true vine. I am the only vine by which you're going to receive all that you need. He goes on to say that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And I love the way as we would continue to read through this, he moves from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit in the process of the things he's discussing. But if you study this section of Scripture at all, or you've heard teachings on it, you probably have been challenged with, in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And it becomes this message on, on fake professors of belief versus people who truly believe. And the interesting thing about it, when he says, he who is not bearing fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away. That word for takes away is an interesting word. Catch this. There's multiple definitions for that word. The third definition is takes away. The first two are he lifts up. He cleans off. So, lest we get too wrapped up in, oh, God takes those branches that don't bear fruit and he lops them off and takes them away, let's understand we have a gracious and compassionate God who gives opportunity, he tries to lift up, he tries to cleanse, but then if there's a branch that just is not going to produce fruit, he lops it off. But he who does produce fruit, it says he prunes, he cleanses, he clips away those things that would hinder the production of fruit so we can produce more fruit and eventually much fruit. We see that there's a special relationship that Jesus wants to have with believers. He wants us to be unified to him. He wants us to be plugged into him. He wants us to acknowledge He is the true vine. He is the one that provides all that we need. And for us to begin to determine the purpose for why we're here, it starts with that one simple fact. He says, ten times in ten verses, let me read the rest of the verses, And then we'll see it. 
Let me pick up again in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Take note of the fact that he says, without me you can do nothing. Paul, in Philippians, shared the reverse. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus sharing says, for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's a word that's repeated over and over again in those six verses from verse 5 through verse 10. Ten times in those verses the word abide is mentioned. Abide. Abide. Abide, 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 abide. If a word is repeated a couple of times, I think we should take notice. Like if I'm having a conversation with you, and I say there's much danger in going the direction you're going, you could be in clear danger. I mean danger if you keep going in that direction, because the end of that direction is danger. You're going to stop for a minute and go, Okay, you're talking to me about something that could hurt me, that's dangerous for me. And you're making the point by using the word danger over and over again. Clearly, Jesus, this isn't Steve saying this. This is the Son of God, God himself, speaking to his disciples. In my Bible, those words are in red. That means Jesus is speaking and he uses the word abide ten times. I think he's trying to make a point. We probably should stop and ask what does it mean to abide? Abide doesn't just mean to be in the presence of. Abide means something much more than that. It means the acknowledgement that I cannot live separated from him. 
that I can do nothing, as he says, without him. Abide doesn't just mean reside. It means to inhabit and to draw life from and to be in tune with. Presently, my daughter Mariah and my son-in-law and grandson are living in our home. We have a three-bedroom home. There are six of us living in it. It's been quite cozy. You come to my house, and it's part nursery, part you know, clutter because babies just bring a lot of stuff with them. And so does my son-in-law. <laughs> but I was sitting studying the word for this morning. <clears throat> And I was thinking about that word abide and kind of the more of what that would look like practically in my life. And as I was thinking about that, I was looking at my grandson and I began to realize something really interesting. He always knows where mom is. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's hanging out. He's sitting in granddad's lap. He's playing with toys. He's four months old now and can grasp toys. And he can be in tune and around and doing other things. But let her voice be spoken or let her get up from her seat and move, and his head turns. He knows always where mom is, and he knows when he's out of the presence of mom. And all of a sudden I realized, man, that's what it looks like to truly abide in Christ. I mean, Jesus has us involved in a lot of things. We're in this world, though we're called not to be of it. He gives us things to do each day. He picks us up, puts us in a field, gives us a plow, and says, plow that field that I placed you in. He's given us gifts and talents to do things on his behalf, he has us interacting with people that are around us. But so often we as even Christians let those things become the things we try to draw our sustenance from, that draw our attention, that captivate our minds and absorb our energies. And Jesus is trying to make a point, no. I am the vine. I am the true vine. You are to abide in me. You have to hear my voice. 
You have to see me move. You have to know my heart. You have to see as I see. Think as I think. Move as I move. Those things that are important to me need to become important to you. Those things that aren't, you need to cast aside. You need to lay every sin in the weight that so easily ensnares us aside for the sake of not being separated in any part of your life from me so that you can hear my voice, so that when I get up and I move and want you to move, your eyes and your actions follow me. And in that moment as I was sitting there realizing how in tune Leo is to his mom, I was challenged to ask myself, am I that in tune to my Savior? Because that's where real abiding happens. And when I'm tapped into him, then he provides all things that pertain, as it says in the scriptures, to life, for life and godliness. I want for nothing. And when I need something, it's provided. And if it's not provided, that means I don't need it. How many times do we chase after things thinking we need them when in reality God is saying, I don't have that for you, but here is what I have for you. And abiding is the foundational principle by which we find our purpose because As it says in the Westminster Catechism, 107 statements in the Shorter Catechism, 107 questions with answers. And the number one question is? Anybody? What is the chief end of man? The first question, what is the purpose for your life? What's the chief end of man? Who knows the answer besides Jeremy? <laughs> What's the answer? And enjoy him forever. The chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the foundational truth of glorifying God is you can do nothing apart from him. You cannot glorify God as God deserves to be glorified, yet lest you abide in him. And when he speaks, you hear. And when he moves, you move. And when his heart breaks, your heart breaks. And you see as he sees. 
That's how we glorify God. It starts with abiding in Him. You say, well, that's great, Steve, and I understand the result of abiding. I get your picture. I I can see that little baby sitting there with his eyes turning and always acknowledging where mom is. And if he if mom drifts away, he realizes mom's not there, which is important for us because as human beings at times we drift because God never moves. We drift. But if we're abiding we will realize there's a separation that's happening and then draw back. I get that, but how do I get there? How do I get there? And I believe the text gives us the points we need to grab about that. When he says, first off, if you abide in me in my words... Abide in you. Part of abiding is the Word of God. Jordan and I have gotten to know one another, yeah? There are some people that actually have come to the two of us and said, Is this your son? My answer is always, I'd be happy if he was, but no. He's not. But we've gotten to know one another. But here's the thing. The way we've gotten to know one another is by spending time together. By me learning about the things that are important to him, that he enjoys, that are struggles for him. And he, in turn, gets to know me. When it comes to God, we have a problem. I can't come over and sit down on that seat and talk to God like I can talk to Jordan. But he has given me his word. And in his word, I learn his heart. In his word, I learn what's important to him. In his word, I learn those things that I shouldn't do. In his word, I learn how he desires for me to interact in this world. In his word, I learn who he is so that I can become like him and take on his characteristics in my life, there is no substitute for time in God's Word. You show me a Christian who doesn't spend time in his Word, I'll show you a Christian that is beginning to wither, that is not producing fruit on behalf of the Lord. Now understand, this isn't a judgment between little fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. But if we truly desire to um, glorify God, we should want to be branches that produce much fruit. 
And to do that, we must abide. But how do we produce fruit that will glorify God if we don't know who God is? His word is the sustenance for my life. It is the living water from which I draw my nutrients. It is in his word that I begin this abiding process. Leo, my grandson, followed his mom around because Leo spends the most time with his mom. It helps that she's his food source. (laughs) But there's no substitution for spending time with the Lord. It's there where we learn who he is in his heart. So step one of abiding is having a hunger for his word and spending time with God in his word. The second point, I told you this is basic. He goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask. When he says you will ask, immediately one word comes to mind and that word is prayer. Somebody said it. Part of abiding is spending time with him and his word. And part of abiding is spending time with him in prayer. And Jesus makes a bold statement, man. He says, if you're abiding in me and my words abide in you, you will pray and ask in whatever you ask the Father will give it to you. That's a pretty bold statement. But that statement has qualifiers. Some people want to just name it and claim it. Oh, I can ask God for anything. That's not what that verse says. If you abide in me and I in you and my word abides in you, now you will ask. And my Father will answer. Because if I'm in tune with him, abiding in him. Well, in the book of James, it says you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask for selfish reasons. You ask for improper motivation or from improper proper motivation. We were talking the other day and um, we were talking about John and how John originally part of the Sons of Thunder one day when a group of people in a city wouldn't receive the teachings of Jesus he's like Let me just call down fire from heaven and toast them. (laughs) By the end of his life, he was known as the apostle of love. 
You know how that happens? Now, first off, Jesus didn't let him call down fire from heaven. He was talking to Jesus, which, in an odd sort of way, was prayer. I mean, if prayer is me speaking to God, John was praying, God, let me call down fire from heaven. That would be defined as asking a mess. <laughs> and God didn't allow it. Yet that same John says this. Oh man, if he's in me and I'm in him and I'm in tune with him in his word, I can ask what I want. And the Father in heaven will answer. Because he came to learn that I need to see as God sees. I need to feel as God feels. And so, one way is in the Word. The second um, step of abiding is prayer. And the third step, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The third step of obedience. One, step one, his word. Step two, prayer. Step three, Nike commercial. Just do it. You have to obey. If I'm going to abide in Christ, I need to know who he is. I need to be in communion with him in prayer. And I need to follow his instructions. I know, rocket science, right? But this is all about, God, why am I here? We haven't even got to that answer quite yet. But the foundation of the answer is I can never get to the reason I'm here without first abiding in Christ. I was created by God to abide in Christ. And I get there by learning who he is, communing with him in prayer, and following his instruction. The end result of that is running through these initial verses is I will produce fruit. Your purpose for being here is to produce fruit. It's as simple as that. Why am I here, God? Because I want you to produce fruit. Now, let me define for you fruit. Fruit is not work. I think in the church today, we get that confused. We got a bunch of people scurrying around doing a lot of work. 
But apart from Jesus being in that work, it's just work. can be good things, but will have no lasting effect lest it's done in Christ. And our purpose here is to produce fruit. Let me, let me say this. We, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, I'm kind of known as the IT guy around here. Um, if a computer isn't working properly or somebody needs something done, or their computer isn't acting the way they want it to act, they'll come to me and say, hey, can you help me here? 50%, by the way, let me just give you a clue, 50% of your problems with the computer will be solved by shutting it off and turning it back on. (laughs) Take that one home with you. The other 25 to 30 percent is OE. Operator error. Another 5 percent is you have wrong expectation. You see, computers, we think they're really smart, but they're not, they're dumb. Because they only do what you tell them to do. So if your computer is not giving you the right outcome, the first place to start is that I give it the right input. Because in computer vernacular, we have a word that we call GIGO. GIGO is an acronym for garbage in, garbage out. If you don't put the right information in, you won't get the right information out. And so, computers are dumb. Branches are dumb. I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but it wasn't a compliment when Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Because branches don't think for themselves. Branches, if you walked up to a branch and you said, tell me, what kind of fruit will you produce? The branch goes, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think about it. I have no part in that. The fruit I produce is determined by the vine I'm tapped into. I just draw my sustenance and what I need, and I don't even put any energy into it. The branch produces fruit as long as it has good um, good resources good food, and it just produces whatever the vine determines. 
the fruit you and I produce shouldn't be our goal. Catch that. The fruit you produce should not be the goal because if it becomes the goal, it becomes work. If you're focused on the fruit, it becomes work. If you're focused on abiding in Christ, you will produce fruit that he determines you should should be producing in the season that you should be producing it in. So often we look at some other branch and say, what a cool cluster of grapes he has. I want to produce that cluster of grape. But God's called you to be a branch on an orange tree. And because we're so focused on the fruit, we try and work out the fruit we believe God would have us work out in our own efforts. The branch simply stays tapped into the vine. In the end result, why are we here? We're here to glorify God. How do we glorify God? By producing fruit to his glory. Well, how do I produce that fruit? It's circular. I abide in Christ. And I trust him. I stay in his word. I stay in prayer. I follow his commandments. He guides and directs my life. He determines the work he would have me do. And what that work looks like. I love Psalm 1 where it talks about the tree that's planted by rivers of living water whose leaf does not wither and catch this, produces its fruit in season. In every season of our life, God has fruit he desires to produce. It's important that we see that. By the way, this is so near and dear to my heart. I've shared with you before because I'm going through different seasons of life. In my life. And the fruit that can possibly be produced from this life I'm living, if I were to spend time comparing that fruit to fruit from 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I might say, oh man, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. But what I've learned through this passage is no, my work is to abide and stay tapped into Jesus and get up each day and let him be the one that guides and directs my life and he will produce fruit in his season. Now this fruit if we did a study on fruit in the Word of God, we'd be here until next Sunday. 
But there's all kinds of fruit spoken of in the Word. Obviously, here in this passage, we would see obedience as a fruit. We would see in verse 11 as we continue reading, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So not only is obedience a fruit of abiding, but joy in the Lord is a fruit of abiding. He goes on to say, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so, love is a fruit. And of course, we turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse, I think, 22, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, and so on. And we see the characteristics of Christ playing itself out in our lives. You are my friends if you do whatever I command, but no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father. I have made known to you a fruit of abiding is truly seen as Jesus sees. I no longer call you my servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But now I call you my friend. All these are fruit that's played out in our lives. How do we know we're abiding? We have a desire to know him. See as he sees, think as he thinks. We have a desire to obey Him and follow His instruction. We see sin in the same way He sees sin. We see righteousness in the same way He sees righteousness. We have an increased love for other people. And that love is manifested by desiring at its highest form that others would be brought in to an abiding relationship with Christ. We have increased joy. Note I didn't say happiness. I said joy in the Lord. If we were to continue to study the Word, we'd find other fruit of abiding in Christ. But in the end, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him or find joy in Him forever. 
we do that in this scripture, which there, sure, by abiding in Him. We abide and grow in that abiding by looking to His Word, prayer, and doing what His Word says. In that, we produce fruit. And that fruit comes in many forms. But ultimately, we're not here for what we think we can do for God. We're here to simply abide in Him and let Him do through me what He desires to do. Galatians 2.20 For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In this life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave his life for me. I desire in my life today to follow the example of my four-month-old grandson. He draws his sustenance from his mom. Literally, he can do nothing without her. He can't walk. He tries to talk, but we can't understand him. He can't feed himself. He can't bathe himself. He can't clothe himself. He can't comfort himself. Yet, this little baby, how big? Nine pounds? No. When he was born, Seven pounds, yeah, it was two weeks early. Seven pounds, 15 ounces, two weeks early. Today, about 19 and a half pounds. He is a butterball. (laughs) He's huge, as Donald Trump would say. That didn't happen on his own. He's producing life. But here's the other part of it that I want to close with. We have so much fun watching him grow and seeing each day something new that's happening. He produces so much laughter, so much joy, in our home. But he can't do anything on his own. It's simply all of it because he abides in the one who provides everything he needs. Oh, that we 
But let our walk with God be that simple. And if we could get there, we wouldn't produce little fruit. We wouldn't produce fruit. We wouldn't produce more fruit. We would produce much fruit on behalf of the one that called us. And as the word says at the end, chose us from the foundations of the world, chosen by God. You did not choose me, but I chose you in a point that you should go and what? Bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. They will know us and that we're abiding in him by our love for one another. All the fruit, I know you've heard this, but please grab it. Galatians 5 doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. I believe there should be a parenthetical statement after love that says which will manifest itself in these other ways in your life. But the greatest fruit is love. Amen? Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.